You were called to make the world brighter, to run on the front lines, to cast vision where it had not yet landed. You were not gifted to be a random burst of energy, but a consistent force that enables the world to hear beauty, see potential, and write stories in a way that points the world to Jesus. Provoke and Inspire. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Uh, We are excited to be doing this again. We're excited to be able to join together uh, via the internet. And uh, we have everybody here, all the regulars. Say hello, everybody. Hello, Hello, everyone. Greetings. (laughs) I think when I say hello, everybody, I don't necessarily mean you have to say hello. Oh, I thought you said say hello, everybody. Dude, you just tricked us all. That was great. (laughs) <laughs> like you know i don't know say hello to one another and the world at large hello Please one another so, and the world yeah. at large perfect <laughs> it's like trained chimps it's great <laughs> anyway so today we are going to continue our series uh covering popular blogs and uh, we're actually going to be talking about a blog that luke wrote but before that uh luke luke uh chad had a uh had a did a little bit of a field trip and uh, talked to one of our one of our uh, our partners and someone that we're we're uh, in connection with uh, and has a great story to tell. So Chad, maybe you can tell us what what you've been doing. Yeah, man. Uh, by the way, confusing me for Luke is absolutely fine. I think Luke's fantastic, so <laughs> I take it as a pure compliment. Um, it is. Yeah, one. thanks. Uh, no, it was cool. I, I you know, uh, David had really encouraged me uh, when I saw him, um, or I don't know. I guess maybe when we when we talked together, or maybe when we were in in Germany about, hey, it would be really cool for you to go to a corn show and, and interview Brian and, um, and kind of just get a, get an update from him and talk with him and, 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 all that. and, and white zombie too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in this case it was white it was straight zombie? Rob zombie from white zombie, which was, uh, yeah. so yeah, it was, it was Rob zombie and corn. Oh. And, and I was definitely praying the kind of prayers, you know, like Lord help me to survive this night kind of thing. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Rob zombie did walk by me at one, at one point with a, with a mini entourage and, uh, he looked much, much less scary than I think I envisioned him from, uh, from posters or, or whatever else. But, uh, but yeah, it was cool. So I, I had a great time. Uh, my friend James and I were, uh, we're basically just just waiting backstage at um, at the corn show where all the buses are and all. You you really get like such a different perspective backstage and in, in a bus and like truck environment than you do on a stage or anywhere near it because everyone seems so normal and so relaxed and just you know talking and just just being who they are um, without any kind of stage persona to accompany them. But, um, but we waited what felt like forever. It was maybe an hour and a half or two. And I began thinking my, my interview time with Brian's not going to happen and there's no way this is going down. So, uh, like I, you know, came here all this way. So I was uh, feeling a little discouraged and, and James said, man, it feels like we're just waiting around with zero favor. Uh, meaning, meaning that nobody cares and, um, we're not getting anywhere. So literally a minute before corn takes the stage, Brian runs out and, and he's like, Hey, are you guys ready? Is your, is your camera guy here? And, and I was like, no, we're still waiting on him. He's his shoot ran late. And, and so, but I said, we don't have any passes. So technically we're, we're not allowed inside. And, uh, and we could have, you know, I probably should have just done the whole former Chad tooth and nail thing and just walked in pretending like I knew what I was doing because Brian ran around just try, like trying to find the, with, with his stage manager yelling at him the whole time, like, dude, 60 seconds, like we got to go, we got to go. And, 
he's looking for these passes and he finally finds them down, goes down this long hallway where all the green rooms are and finds the passes runs, gives me the passes. And then we like just rush on stage. And, um, and, and it was the funniest thing. Cause I, I literally stuffed all the passes into my, my hoodie pocket and uh, I don't think they ever came out again until towards the end of the night. And I said, Hey man, thanks for the passes. I'm going to give these to my kids. And uh, Brian was like, no, no, dude, don't do, you can't give those to your kids. And I said, what do you mean? I can't like, Oh, you like, Oh, you need them back. He said, no, 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 I don't need them back. But he said, uh, he said, Hey, the, you know, the tour artwork is, is not, if you look at it in the light, you're going to realize your kids don't need it. And, uh, and it, so it was, oh, turns no. out it was very, uh, vulgar and I did, had not realized what was in my pocket. So thankfully Brian kept me from an awkward moment with my kids and the, the trophy I thought I was bringing home, but, uh, but it just kind of proved, you know, the, the, I think the, the whole night, um, realize, I, I just felt like what Brian does and what the Lord's called him into has to be one of the craziest ministry outpost that I've ever come across because it, it's like, it's just everything about it is opposite of what we think of when we think of ministry in, in a conventional conference or church or seminar or, or whatever, like the, the nice uh, Christian bubbly kind of thing. So, so anyway, we ended up having an amazing time and just, just being able to hang out uh, with Brian and, and kind of experience him in his element and, um, uh, corn did play a Metallica cover. That was very cool. Uh, it was, it was pretty amazing to watch corn from, from backstage the whole time and just kind of watch all the, the people running around, making sure everything's all the techs, making sure everything's happening properly. And, um, it was just, was, was cool to, to experience the heart that the Lord's given him. And then afterwards yeah. to, to just pray over people and, and see people give their lives to Jesus um, just because Brian shared his story and said, Hey, I, I'm not trying to convince you of anything other than at one point he said, uh, when I met Jesus, I felt like I had discovered, uh, or, or I had kind of like won the lottery of the universe. And now mm. I just get to share it with everybody else. And that's all I'm doing. Yeah. And he just said, Hey, if you want to know Jesus, um, you, would you just say a prayer with me? And so then that turned into, opportunities for us to, to just begin praying over people and encouraging people. And, and it was, uh, it was awesome. So yeah, I ended up leaving. So it started kind of awkward and weird and like, man, there's no favor. And then it just ended with, with, you know, in the best way possible. Yeah. So it was, beautiful. Well, it's, yeah. And just from, for those with maybe less context, I mean, we, we had a podcast that we actually did with Brian head a little while back. You can listen to that. Um, it's on our website, but you know, he just talks about that, that God called him back and he is in that scene and he is preaching and, and he's seeing people come become saved and healed and people in his band. And, yeah. you know, it's, I actually think this is a perfect, it was unintended uh, at the start of this, but it's actually a perfect segue um, because the blog that we want to talk about today uh, is one that, that Luke wrote. Um, and it's, it's the, the title of it was Jesus knew the scene. Jesus knows the scene. Um, and, and it really talks, I don't know. I mean, I can let Luke, I can let you explain it since you wrote it, but it kind of shares a little bit of the heart of, of even what Brian is doing. Um, so as a segue, maybe, uh, maybe Luke, you can kind of share a little bit about this blog. And, and for those that you uh, that don't know, I mean, we, Luke wrote this blog a while ago and it got a ton uh, of people, uh, sharing it and liking it and, and commenting on it. It was 
by far not even close our most uh, popular blog in that sense. Uh, so this is obviously a topic that is on people's hearts. Uh, so maybe Luke, you can share a little bit about that and, and connecting it a bit to Brian too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It connects with Brian's story and what he's doing. I think it, uh, what Brian's doing is a great example of exactly that being part of the scene. Um, if you read the blog, you see that it's mainly around a story um, of a band that I met in Brazil. Um, the band was called No More Lies and good friends of mine. Uh, but the key point there was just that here was a band that they were very engaged in the scene, the local scene, the music scene, the cultural scene. They had a lot of friends. They were hanging out with everybody. They they were um, playing a lot of shows. Uh, when they organized events, a lot of people would come. Um, but they... When I first met them, they, they had some concept of, of God, of faith, but they um, hadn't sort of committed their lives to Jesus yet, but they were very open. And as we uh, got to know each other and I was able to share more and they were at a few different uh, situations where they heard a gospel message, they came up to me and said, we want to know more about this. And that's how this relationship started. But the main point of it is that as they became followers of Jesus, as they committed their lives to Jesus, they didn't disconnect from that scene, from those relationships. They continued engaged in those relationships. And for me, it was awesome to watch the power of the influence of some young guys coming to Jesus and continuing in their relationships and and then being salt and light in that environment. And so it really does connect, I think, with Brian in that sense, in that Brian is now back in um, the scene he was part of before, and he's being salt and light in that place. And I really believe that is um, what Jesus did and by far one of the most efficient missionary methods, if you like. It's, you know, rather than coming up with some kind of project or strategy or scheme that's like, let's let's find a way of hitting people um, with the message. Let's, you know, come up them with a big project or a big structure. Just having um, those relationships and building a whole network and, and being able to be a follower of Jesus in that context it's showing people, not only is it very influential, but it also shows people in a very real way, in a day-to-day way, what it's like to follow Jesus. So that's what this band would do. They, you know, yeah. we'd have them come around our home. Like, you know, we, we ended up living together. And so we'd have a bunch of people come around the house all the time. And so it's mealtimes together. It's parties together. It's Bible studies and prayer together. It's doing shows together. And in all of those different environments, showing the character of Jesus, preaching the message of the gospel and yet showing it practically as well. And that's kind of the concept here. I was, uh, you know, it's when I, when I felt like I was supposed to start uh, my band in Amsterdam to, to reach the, especially the uh, anarchistic scene there. uh, My, I had some pretty crazy guys in my band and sometimes I'd be doing radio interviews and uh, especially if they were, well, if I was doing a Christian radio interview, they'd say, now, come on, isn't it kind of worldly what you're doing? And because like one of the guys in my band were a big trench coat and he had combat boots and he had this big mohawk. And I said, well, let me tell you about him. One day he was walking down the street in Amsterdam and this guy walked up to him and said, uh, what are you doing? And so here's this guitarist in my band. He has this big trench coat and combat boots and this big mohawk. So he says to him, what are you doing in Amsterdam? And he said, well, I'm a missionary. And he said, what? He said, you're a missionary? He, and he goes, yeah, I'm a missionary. And he said, did you change your mind? And he said, he said no, I didn't, I didn't change my mind. Jesus changed my life. 
you know, I was a dead person and he, he made me alive again. And so this guy in the streets thinking, do you mean following Jesus is not about which direction your hair points, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, uh, <laughs> and, and this guy, this radio interview goes, yeah, but isn't it kind of worldly? And I said, you know what the most worldly thing you can do? The most worldly thing you can do is to wear a suit and tie. There's been more evil done in the world by guys wearing suits and ties than by anybody, you know, walking around with trench coats and combat boots. And this idea that somehow uh, one form of style is, is, is more worldly than another is, is just ridiculous. And I, and it communicates to people that Jesus is not real to them where they Hmm. are in their, in their culture. But, you know, so I don't think it's about dress. It's about relationship. And yeah. I think part of being relevant is to to be normal and real in the world that God has called you to live in. Well, yeah, because I what I so often see, I mean, I've, I have recent examples of this is um, you, you tend in, in the context of reaching people, I, I at least tend to find a lot of people fit into one of these two categories, either um, they for the name for the sake of popularity have become so um, like the scene they they've become they've tried so hard to be like the world that they're compromised there's no standards of holiness um, and they're not even really reaching anybody or you get the other end of the extreme and it's like Ned Flanders you know it's like so out of touch and so out of date it's it's like let's you know let's have a, an outreach meeting and play worship music and 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 use all this church language and and they're not reaching anyone either and so I guess for the for the sake of discussion, why do people fall into one of these two categories? Well, I think it's because they think that it has to do with putting on a, a uniform or or it's it's like Lucas saying it's about really being like Jesus and knowing knowing the people that that God has called you to reach. And I think it's very easy to to when you first come to Jesus, you are relevant because you're just normal. You're just part of the scene. But then the longer you follow him the more you become part of the church culture and you, you become part of like this Christian ghetto and you start and you're no longer know how to even to talk to normal people anymore. And, and so I think that's part of the problem. And and then, and then you think, okay, how am I going to reach people outside of the church? And so then you, you think, well, if I, if I, if I dress a certain way or I, I kind of try to act like, like I'm part of their world, then I'll be able to have some contact with them. But it's not it's not going to work because it's not authentic. And so the thing about Jesus was he was authentically uh, a part of the scene, but he didn't compromise in the scene. He ate with people, he loved people, but he still told them the truth, and he didn't compromise and be, participate in their sin. And I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think also that the whole thing of getting closed in a Christian ghetto is often caused by fear, you know, and, and a, a genuine concern. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to get lost in that. Or it's, sometimes it's protectionism, like from, from the church or like youth leaders or whatever it is. Like, don't, don't go to those places. Don't meet with those people. If you come to Jesus, then you often get told, don't hang out with the people you used to hang out with. You, you'll get lost again. And it's a genuine concern and a care but it goes too far and it becomes fear. And I think I, I may have mentioned this on one of our other blogs, before, uh, podcasts before, I can't remember, but talked about, um, uh, I really love this, this passage where Jesus talks about salt and light, because I feel like it really gives a clear message and a good balance in how to do this well. 
I think um, salt, for me, the understanding of salt giving taste, being different, uh, standing out in the world, um, knowing my identity in Christ, being what mm. gives taste to the environment I'm in, and light representing that influence. You know, the light has to be high up in the room or on the hill where everybody can see it. And so I'm highly influential. And I feel like what, uh, to me, what that message is saying, what Jesus is teaching is be different and be influential. And I feel like what we do in the church is we fall into one extreme or the other. Sometimes we're very salty. They're so salty, so different that nobody gets us. Nobody, people can't get the taste. They can't understand what we're talking about. We become alienated. We're not being influential. We're not being light. Um, and then the other hand, we go to the other extreme. We're all light. We're all influential, but we've lost the saltiness. We've lost the taste. And Jesus says, you know, the salt that loses its, its saltiness is useless. So I really think that that balance is key. It's how can I be in the world, part of the scene, being light, influential, and yet being different, being salt, which is, you know, what David's saying about um, not losing our ways or being, being um, authentically part of the scene and yet holding to yeah. my identity in Jesus, you know. Uh. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, I think it. I think that that you guys are all right in that sense that it is um, probably much easier for us to operate out of fear when someone comes to the Lord and and wanting to disciple them or mentor them and help them grow in Jesus to say, "Hey, um, bad company corrupts good character," kind of thing. So stay away from from all the bad company so you don't get corrupted. Uh, but that is, uh, that's assuming that Jesus is really small and incapable of restoring people to the place where they could actually begin influencing bad company towards good character and, um, not the other way around. So, um, so I do think it's a, it's probably in many ways probably comes down to the individual. You know, if you, if you, uh, are amongst a, if you come out of a gang, whose primary purpose is to take out the opposing gang. And every time you get together, it's like, Hey, how can we um, kill someone in the opposite gang? Well, that, that probably is a situation where you need to step aside and, or, or still be, um, be present where you can, but not engage like what David was saying with the actual sin that's taking place. And, um, and I do think at the, at the same time, when, so for me, when I, when I came out of a life of drugs and I was with people who uh, were still doing that, it did seem like there, there was a, they very clearly noted the fact that I was no longer doing drugs, but that I was still hanging out with them and I was still trying to, to love them and I was sharing my faith with them and, and, uh, and encouraging them. And so there's, um, it seems when you put the two together where someone has really great community and gospel connection and church family life and, and the foundations growing, but then they're also being challenged to, um, to wrap their arms around those that they've been walking through life with, even if they disagree, or even if they're not living Mm. for Jesus, that that's actually how a disciple is, is forged rather than just the, the Christian ghetto idea or the opposite extreme. And, and I'm never going to go to church or I'm never going to uh, find, yeah. you know, find family or fellowship. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, um, I don't know. Cause I'm, I have specific examples in mind and events I've been a part of and things. And, and so often the people are so genuine in their attempts to reach people. And yet it, it's, it's so 
fails to be relevant. And and if you're thinking about the progression of it, it, obviously I think it begins with having that genuine relationship with Jesus where, where it's not a social club, because in terms of just thinking of it from like uh, social norms, it makes sense. You know, people congregate with people that are like them. I mean, it's yeah. just normal. It's that's just normal and social behavior. And so you're going to find people that are similar to you. And if your Christianity is just a social club, if it's just, you know, about certain kinds of behaviors certain or avoiding, typically avoiding certain kinds of behaviors, I think it makes sense that you would congregate together. And, and, and then because you congregate together, it becomes, you become increasingly isolated and deta- detached from reality. Um, so I think the first place to start, and again, this, my accusation here is not that all these people don't have relationships with Jesus by any means, but I think it starts with having a genuine relationship with Jesus that, that's, that's deeper than just the circumstances around you. And, and that itself um, will, you know, you, you won't, your life won't be like walking this tightrope where, man, if I'm out in the real world for a few seconds, I'm going to start compromising. It's, we got to have a deeper relationship than that. And then from that genuine relationship with God, you should start to, well, first of all, you should start wanting to live like Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and part of that is, is he wasn't isolated. He was in the world. Um, and, and he had a heart for, for the lost. And it wasn't like a project. It wasn't like a to-do list. He, he spent most of his time with those that, that needed him, not with those that didn't. Uh, and, and so, you know, you have that genuine relationship where you're not worried. Yes, you have a community that supports you, but you're not worried that you're going to lose your faith if you step outside of the church building. And then God breaks your heart for the lost and you have real relationships with people. And if you have real relationships with people outside of the church, then I don't think it's rocket science that you got to speak their language. You got to not use all these things that, that make no sense to them. That, that this format of the way we do our our meetings and language that we use, I, I think that's a big part of it is have a real relationship with God, let him break your heart and have real relationships outside of the church. Yep. And when you're, when you're in the real world, being a real follower of Jesus, it's amazing. It's a great thing. And uh, I mean, I can remember this one, one gym I, I would go to where the, the guys that all went there were like drug dealers and stuff that I thought it was, a, I wanted to go there to, to train and to have a relationship with these guys. And they knew who I was, you know, cause they would make fun of me, you know, and my, the guy that was working out with me and call us the missionaries and they'd go, Hey, here comes the missionaries. And they, you know, tease <laughs> us and stuff, but they really liked us. And I can remember one day I was, I was bench pressing and, uh, it was too heavy. I couldn't get the, I couldn't lift the bar. So I asked one of the guys in the club, Hey man, can you help me with this? And he said, why don't you just ask Jesus to help you? And they all just laughed. And I, <laughs> Yeah, I had to kind of like crawl under the bar, you know, it was like the old where you lay it on the yeah, stomach and exactly. roll it off. And they're all yeah, just the, the, the whole worm roll of shame. Exactly. They're all just laughing at me and stuff. <laughs> but I mean, these guys were really tough guys, but they respected me. They respected me that I was in their club, that I wasn't hiding in some church. And at the same time, I was clear about who I was, you know, and, and, they love me, you know, and, and that's been my experience is that people are really hungry for people that are really followers of Jesus and they want to know who he is, but we have to be willing to go to where they are. And it is hard. Like you were saying, Ben, it's, it's, you know, it's always easy to be around people that think like you do, but I also think that it's very deadening. And uh, when you really yeah. start to experience the reality 
and the power of God is when you're when you're in normal clubs and normal places. I mean, that's when you really when you see mm. the, the reality of Jesus in your life. Thanks for listening to part one of the special two-part podcast episode. Check back next time for part two. For more information about our upcoming Provoke and Inspire seminars, head to comeandlive.com slash seminar. Got a question for the guys? Send it to provokeandinspire at comeandlive.com.